Welcome to Unplug It, our finals edition. We've taken a week off and that's because the boys have had the week off, the well-earned week off after the jam-packed 2020 season and for the first time since 2011. St Kilda will be playing finals football. The excitement uh, everywhere has been absolutely fantastic, well-deserved for the entire club for the way they've managed this season, for their really bold recruiting strategy at the end of last year, which has paid dividends with every one of those players contributing in a significant way and obviously to the loyal supporter base and a lot of you that, that listen to us clearly obviously fit that bill uh, who have obviously stood by the club through some really difficult times and have forgiven them some mistakes it's fair to say but uh, have obviously been been there riding every wave as we get ourselves through to the finals where we'll take on the Western Bulldogs this Saturday. There's been nothing about this season that has been normal but it has been great, or the year that has been normal for that matter, but it has been great that the club has been able to be a shining beacon for us in a, in a pretty tough time uh, as something to smile about in 2020. And they did it emphatically to a 52-point thumping of the much more experienced GWS Giants. The worry would have been playing them in a big game on the eve of the finals, that they've been there before and we haven't, but we look the more settled team. We look the more comfortable, confident and uh, and. I guess, bold team as we really did handle that game from start to finish to win it by the best part of 10 goals. Uh, group in a pretty healthy position. Zach Jones set to return. So Jay Gresham, uh, the only big name to be sidelined, but we're four days away at the time of this recording and counting. H, as we welcome you, take us through your Friday night a week or so ago as we sealed our fate in the uh, in the best possible way. Yes, it's it's nice to be going into a final series with a nice win. I mean, if, if we'd crept over the line or lost the match and then the other results went our way and we fell in, and it would have been a bit like, okay, it, it, we've, just, we've just got in and we possibly would have had to go on to Perth and that. But it's it, just getting that really big, convincing win sort of gives us a bit more of a, yes, we're in this. We've we got, we got something to show. We, we, we've beaten last year's grand finalists in the last round of the season. We're going in confident. Um, as you say, injury list looks good. Um, the, the team's quite settled now. So just, it, it can really be something to look up to going, yep, okay, we're, we're right in amongst this. Yeah, look, I think it was just really, really impressive the way that we, I guess, outmatched them from start to finish that, we spoke a few times throughout the year about how we hadn't really put together, you know, real solid four quarter performances, probably since that Bulldogs game earlier, early in the year, round two or whatever it was. But um, this was a really solid, even four quarter performance from the entire squad. There were no passengers, uh, you know, even the guys that had some niggles um, and and some bumps early, uh, put in put in the hard the hard yards. They they put in the shift and. And, you know, it was a really even effort from, from everybody. There are a couple of standouts, as, as there always are, but, you know, really hard to find someone who deserves to go out of this team at the moment, which, which is really impressive. Yeah, it is. And, and the, the even spread, even sort of looking through the votes and, and doing all those sorts of things were, uh, were really, really difficult. At what point did you, uh, did you think we were safe? It was sort of the, for me, it was the, the three-step period. So Jack Loney put us 20 points up in the third quarter and I thought, going to be hard to beat from here. And then Billings kicked the goal after that. And I thought almost home, but then Max King's first of the last quarter. I thought, no, that's, uh, that's too far. Three quarter time. I was, 
fairly confident. But uh, I mean, as as you guys know, and we were chatting through the through the game, it's kind of no one wants to be that first person to say that we're safe. And then I think about ten minutes into that last quarter, um, and and we'd kick three or four early in, in in that last quarter, and I think we all kind of went around the same time that we're safe here, we're we're good, and um, it was just a massive sigh of relief and. I think following following that, you know, we saw saw the passion of the, the guys on the bench and seeing the song and lots of stuff. I, I didn't I didn't think that I would be so emotional about it, um, and, and it was really I was kind of kind of fun, I guess. That that all of a sudden you, you've got tears in the eyes and, and all you've done is is win a regular season footy game. You know, it wasn't wasn't a massive win. It wasn't you know it wasn't a finals win. It wasn't a grand final, but it just meant. It meant more than I thought that it would after all this time. And um, it still does. It still does. I, I had a smile on my face all week. Yeah, you kind of go back and look at the game again and you sort of look at it and go, eh, it probably was a bit more comfortable than when it felt on the night for sure. Um, I mean, three-quarter time, GWS basically, they had to double their score to act, and more to actually beat us. Um, so at that point, you're sort of going, look, if we lost from that point, you absolutely had, we had no, um, no right to be playing finals. Um, so it's, you sort of go, no, nah, no, nah, we're in control of this game. It's ours to take right now, make a statement, get that week off and then yeah, hit it hard the following week. Yeah, I, I, it was the, the emotion that you talk about, Nick, absolutely. It's been at times a torturous year, a fun year, but the amount of missed opportunities and close losses, you were thinking, geez, it'd be cruel if they if they missed the finals after all of this. And that's what made that build-up to the Giants game so nervous. It was like a final. And, yeah, the, the, the passion after the game and excitedly sharing messages with friends and just having that real sense of pride and seeing them sing the song in the way they did, it was just good to feel that way. It had been a long, long time between drinks for, for us as a club and, uh, I was joking, a friend of of ours that we know, A-Rod, who's a Hawthorne supporter, runs Hawthorne Fan TV, and uh, got me on after we played Hawthorne a couple of weeks ago. And I made the comment, I said, oh, you guys make the finals in your sleep. And, but for us, it's just a little bit different. And uh, it means perhaps more in, in a lot of ways. And, and we hadn't jo- done the job just yet by that stage, but obviously we have now. And, yeah, it's just, just those... Obviously, you want to go further and you want to make it count and you want to make sure that you, you stay there and, and build some form of sustained success. But I guess we, we, we've gone through a fair bit of pain and, and the year's been a tricky one and it was just nice to be able to sit there and say, yeah, that's something as a, you know, a united front and a group of supporters that we can, that we can really get behind. I guess it's one of those things like you always talk about that, that process and what we need to do to to win a flag and, and like you said, build sustainable success. But one of the first things we need to do is to be able to win footy games. Win, win games of footy is kind of the first thing. And secondly, you've got to make the finals to start winning finals and, and you know, the opportunity to win grand finals, you've got to make the finals. And uh, I, that's something that we haven't done since, since 2011. And, and like you said, it's, it's, it's one of those things that we just had to tick off the list. And, and it was just so important for us to win that game uh, and, and to, to, you know, for the first time in nine years, say we're a finals team because we haven't been able to say it for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just the, the, the sense of pride in that. But at the same time, yeah, you don't want to rest on your laurels and sort of be uh, as much as it's a good step to finish, not just in the finals, but finish top six. 
sort of normal circumstances you'd host a final, but it would have been neutral anyway because you would have played the Western Bulldogs at, at the MCG. Um, now it's the Gabba. There was obviously that debate around whether the game would be played in Adelaide or, or Brisbane, but quite rightly, the Saints got their choice. Votes, uh, I, I would imagine, guys, will be a fairly familiar theme amongst the votes this week to a lot of weeks over the course of the season. But, Nick, do you want to uh, take us away first with your one, two, three out of the Giants game, if we can remember back that far? Yeah, it took, it took me a little while. I, I watched, watched uh, a fair bit of the game again uh, earlier today and, and watched some more highlights and stuff just before we, we started recording. Uh, I gave one to Hunter Clark. I thought he was very good. I mean, he, didn't, he wasn't as prolific as, as we know that he can be, 16 touches, but... Five tackles, five clearances was really good in, in tight. Uh, two votes to Rowan Marshall. Just the seven hitouts, but he played definitely more as a, as a forward. And, and obviously, Paddy Ryder takes that, that main you know, stoppage ruckman role. Seven marks, seven hitouts, a goal. Uh, contributed in the clearances, five score involvements. Rowan Marshall does everything. Um, and, and there's nothing that he's bad at. So I, I gave him two. And the three is uh, someone that we've gotten pretty used to giving three votes to this year. Jack Steele, 18 touches, two goals, 10 clearances, seven tackles, and nine score involvements. The guy is having a phenomenal season. And, uh, you know, we'll win our best and fairest by an absolute street. And very much deserved his spot in the Australian team uh, this week as well. So Deserved to be on uh, the ground, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but that... Get, getting into the best 22 in the league's big, no matter what. But, yeah, that, that's, I guess, an argument we could make quite easily that he was, he was probably one of the best, I guess, six midfielders in the game this year. Um, but I can't argue against your votes there. I, I've had exactly the same three. Um, it, it, when you look back at what our stats were in this game, it was actually really... Um, a really even spread of disposals and, and everything throughout the game. It was such an even display by the team. Um, I mean, Seb Ross had the most touches with 19. And you look at their side, they had three players with as many or more, I mean, including Whitfield, who had 28. So just, just the even spread that we had on the field was probably one of the keys to how the game went. But those three, as Nick's saying, the clear best three on the ground on the night. Yeah, and I, I followed a, a very similar pattern. There were some unluckies. Ben Patton was one of those who blanketed Toby Green. Paddy Ryder was excellent uh, with his ruck work. We obviously even saw him do a back heel one. I thought Butler played his best game for a while. Ben Long was very good down back. Uh, Hanabry and, and Ross did their job, but same votes for me. One vote to Hunter Clark, whose progression into the midfield is tracking nicely. Two to Rowan Marshall, went forward and kicked a big goal, did some terrific stuff around the ground, contested marks, and uh, very, very good player, and, and Jack Steele was, was outstanding, as we say, in the All-Australian team. Dan Butler may have been in the All-Australian team had they have selected players in position and not played midfielders in positions where they'd spent about 11% of their time during the season just to get them into the side. I mean, I always look at it. They, they do that all the time with, with small forwards. I, I asked the question the other way. If you had nine elite small forwards, let's say you just threw them all in there. You had Charlie Cameron, Tom Papley, Dan Butler, Liam Ryan... Uh, all had amazing seasons. Would you play one of them Ruck Rover just so you could get them all in the team? They wouldn't do it the other way around. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I think small forwards get a little bit stiff. It's like, oh, no, sorry, no. Scott Pendlebury, you're not in the All-Australian team because we've got to play a small forward in your position. 
Um, yeah, I don't, I don't get it necessarily. It wouldn't, um, wouldn't happen. <laughs> no, exactly. And as much as Butler faded a bit in the back half of the year, and I thought Ryan from West Coast might have taken his spot, the way they selected the All Australian team, they probably could have picked both of them. But anyway, he was a, he was in the squad, and, and yeah, that's the first of a number of awards for for Jack Steele over the course of the season. Uh, Jaron Geary signing on for another year, which is good to see. I think his leadership, I mean, last year he copped a, a shocking run of injuries with the uh, the shocking uh, corky of the quad and then the broken leg in China. And uh, now, full credit to him, as much as he has his critics sometimes unfairly, he's captain St Kilda back into the finals and deserves that opportunity to go around again next year and, and is playing his role very nicely. And you sense that Jack Steele's grooming nicely to, to take the reins from him, uh, I guess it's hard to hard to dispute that from from gears. I wouldn't have thought. No, I, no absolutely not. Um, I think I threw up the idea of possibly going with co-captains next year. Um, just do we a little bit of a handover for the following season? I, I, it could be something worth looking at. I mean, or at least having um, steel, uh, steel as the, I guess straight up vice captain but handing a bit more game day over to him so a bit of a yeah, a handover period next year i think would work quite quite well with the with um yeah still most likely taking over i'm i'm not against that at all i mean we've seen a few times especially with with younger captains that they can struggle in that first year of, of being given that added responsibility we, we saw it this year with Canelio in in uh, in Sydney at GWS, the, the fact that he's really struggled, you know, adding that leadership capacity and, and the, the public face of the club to um, to his to, to his game day, you know, match winning feats, which which we all know is a superb player, but he's had a really a really rough year for a guy of his of his capacity, um, and so I'm I'm certainly not against you know having something like a, a co captaincy with Gears or or Geary captain, Steel vice captain. Uh, I guess the big question that we all had was, does Steele want it? You know, we, we all, we've won it all year. Why isn't he in the, the leadership group? I think we asked in the preseason when they announced that group, we all thought Steele, after, off the back of last season, you know, was probably in the running to be the next captain, if not the favourite. So why wasn't he at least in the, in the leadership group? And, and the question was, does he want it? Um, you know, he came out on, on All-Australian evening and, and said, yes, I, I aspire to be captain of the footy club. And, and that was great, I think, for a lot of us to hear because, you know, we've been, been wanting that. Um, and he's, he's the, the clear natural successor. Um, Parker, you touched on, on Geary and, and his critics, and, and you know, he's, he's not the most talented footballer that's ever played the game, and, and he'll be the first to tell you that. He's not the quickest, he's not the most skilled, he's not the most talented, uh, he's not the most vocal. But one thing you can say about him is, is that he has the utmost respect of the playing group and the coaching group, and that's, that spans across, you know, multiple years, seasons, across a decade, really, even going back to when, when Rui was captain, um, everybody trusts Jaron Geary and, and they relied on him to do a job in, in defence. They relied on him when he played up through the middle and sometimes up forward to, to do a job. Uh, and he has the implicit and explicit trust of the playing group and the coaching staff. And, and you know, for anyone who, who criticises his leadership, that's all you need to know is that these guys love him. Yep, I think that's absolutely spot on. And, um, yeah, it's you just have to look at the, the, the proof in the in the pudding and there's far more to, to these things than 
simple numbers would tell you as, as important as they are. There's a lot to, to look forward to with the Bulldogs final, which we'll analyse very shortly with our special guest this week, another of the famous Saints supporting brethren, it's Bruce Ebar. There's a kick from Burns, it won't make the distance, up they go, the ball was tried to force through by the Essendon defenders, in they go, here's a chance for Cowie, lock it, he's kicked it, that's his fourth. Well, as part of finals fever, we're taking uh, the, the passion approach. There's a lot of passion floating around uh, St Kilda over the last couple of weeks in the build-up to this first final against the Western Bulldogs, our first final since 2011. And anyone that's uh, ever been to the Victory Room or anyone that's ever uh, jumped on social media or followed St Kilda through any platform will be well aware of Bruce Eva's love of the club, a football caller and radio personality and function host and MC and you name it, he's done it and a passionate saint. Uh, Beba, nice to, to have you with us. And, and as we start things off, you mentioned on Twitter that you wanted to borrow a submarine and if you could find somebody to park it for you in Brisbane. Did you have any luck? No, Darren. No, firstly, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, guys. And um, uh, no luck with the submarine, unfortunately. So I still don't know whether there is a docking station in the in the Brisbane River. Um, a few people got in touch with me and actually uh, suggested that a submarine might be around about the eighty million dollar mark if we wanted to buy one. So um, I think we probably need to eradicate the club's debt before. Uh, before we get to hiring or purchasing a submarine. So uh, down here in Melbourne with the rest of us and we'll be uh, watching on intently on Saturday. Uh, so basically, we, as Darren's just gone over all the background you've had and everything you've done and been in and out of media in this part and that part, and w- where did it all start for you? Where, how did you become involved in the media? Um, who, who gave you your opportunity to get into all this? Yeah, Aaron, I, I was very lucky. I got a cadetship on the old Herald newspaper straight out of uh, straight out of school. Um, back then, uh, the Herald and the Sun were two separate papers, so I actually got a cadetship coming out of what was then your, your HSC at the end of 1985. My first day actually on the Herald was the day the first space shuttle blew up. So it was a it was a very very big news day, and it happened in perfect herald time as they uh, as they used to say because it happened at about four <laughs> pardon me about four o'clock in the morning um uh, australian time australian summertime so um yeah it was uh, i'd i'd worked out pretty early at school that i wasn't going to be able to play sport at the highest level but um i was just obsessed with sport and uh, a few friends a next door neighbor was a, a leading photographer on the sun newspaper uh, by called Craig Borrow, and then uh, in year eleven at uh, at school, I went, uh, was lucky enough to go to Halebury, and um, uh, Stephen Phillips, an old boy, came out and gave a talk on what was a, a normal day at, at World of Sport on uh, the classic uh, Sunday morning show, and I just that was the seal the deal for me in terms of wanting to get involved in the, in, in the sports media, and um, I was told I always had the gift of the gab, and uh, I quite like to write so uh, I was lucky enough to get through the, the long process of, of getting a cadetship on the um, Herald and Weekly Times and was yeah uh, my yeah my first job was uh, was on the Herald. 
Yeah, baby, there's, there's a few a few passionate Saints fans in the media. You're obviously one of the, the more vocal of the lot. But how, how did your love for uh, for the footy club come about? Yeah, I have to uh, have to blame my dear departed dad for that. Um, dad was St Kilda, and uh, and mum was Melbourne. Although mum's changed to St Kilda in uh, recent years. Uh, Dad's been gone 20 years now. He passed away uh, a few weeks before the Sydney Olympics. Uh, he was only 64, but he was um, the deal that mum and dad had, had come to when they got married was any boys they have will marry for St Kilda after dad and any girls will follow um, uh, Melbourne after mum. My two older sisters are both Melbourne uh, supporters. And ironically, they actually got married, mum and dad, on the day that we broke our longest ever uh, finals drought, the 1961 first semi-final against, uh, against Footscray. Um, so the Saints hadn't been in the finals since 1939. And, uh, and well, Dad was 25 when he got married, but he still didn't get to see the, the Saints in a final for another couple of years after that. I never asked him as to why he barracked for St Kilda. All of our family, all the Evers are from Ballarat, which has obviously got a huge St Kilda connection. But uh, back when Dad started following the Saints, there wasn't the country zoning then. And his dad, my, my grandfather, was a Bulldogs or a Footscray supporter. Um, they moved down to Bentley during the during the Second World War. My grandfather tried to enlist, but was um, was knocked back because he had a had a heart murmur. So it wasn't even then the Bentley Moorabbin connection because that was years before we moved from uh, the junction to to Linton Street. So I, I never, if he did tell me, I forgot. But um, that's a long story of. of of telling you how I came to barrack for the Saints. I didn't have any choice. Uh, yep, um, being my, my father's uh, son, I was um, uh, I was red, white and black from, from the moment I entered this world. Not to, uh, to go off on a tangent, but I can see many, many similarities there, even in the... Uh... Even in the, the the start you had with the, uh, the the Challenger disaster in 1986, my first day on SEN was Black Saturday, and obviously we turned into a uh, into a news service that day rather than a sports service. And uh, similar with the background, although my, my grandfather used to sell records at the Junction Oval in the late 1930s uh, after having uh, the, the family settled in St Kilda, so followed obviously through the generations and, and had to stay there. Uh, he was at the 66 Grand Final, um, which is obviously something I'm very envious of, but uh, I guess your your early heroes growing up, uh, obviously thinking of the the era and those sort of stuff. So some early favourite players for you. Well, we can yeah, Darren. Good good question. We can probably start that uh, start that answer by going through my uh, order of uh, of jumper numbers. Although even now, as I'm, I'm 52 now, I get a little confused. I think I think I started with three. I went three seven. 35, uh, yeah, 37, 35, 2 and 5. So that was Ross Smith, Stuart Trott, Paul Calvary, Gary Sidebottom, and then uh, and then Joffa Cunningham, of course. And it's not often that one of your childhood heroes becomes one of your best mates, but um, uh, Joffa's uh, he, he's godfather to, to my son Brady and you know, one, of my, one of my best mates. But yeah, the early day, I first got taken to Moorabbin in 75 as a as a seven-year-old um, by, by dad. We've been to a few St Kilda games in the previous couple of years, either the MCG or VFL Park. We only lived about five minutes, five to 10 minutes from VFL Park. Grew up just next to the Sandown Park race course. Went to Sandown Park Primary, so Waverley was our closest closest ground. So, um, 
Yeah, so Moorabbin in 75 was the first time I went to the uh, uh, the centre of the universe, the Hello Turf. and uh, But even back then, like, you know, Barry Breen, Cowboy. I mean, I just, just loved Cowboy. And then, of course, when the... The trio of blondes came along in, you know, Barker, Burns and Cunningham. I mean, it was, it was pretty much uh, regulation in terms of uh, who my heroes were that, um, you know, for most Saints fans that sort of, you know, grew up throughout the uh, the 70s and 80s. So you mentioned going to the Moorabbin there a bit. Now, obviously, we know there's a few other famous Saints fans and that sort of stuff. And a couple of photos of yourself have popped up over time at games there and that sort of thing. Who, who were some of the other names that we would know that you have either had a bit good chat with at the game before before they've all become like big names, I guess. But who are some of the ones that you knew before then? Oh, so Aaron, you're talking about supporters, other yep, yep. other supporters. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I retained my reserve seat in the grandstand at Moorabbin um, right until the end in 1992. Um, our early years of our reserve seats were sort of sandwiched between the visiting club, uh, injured players, reserve players and officials and, and the past players, uh, the St Kilda past players, and then moved around to the bay in front of the, uh, ironically, in front of the, the press box. Um, and then Dad sort of stopped going from about 86, um, just for a couple of years there. So then, either my seats in the in the stand very close to the Lockett family. So um, uh, I've always um, been fairly close. In fact, I was only talking to Di, uh, Plugger's sister. We had about a half hour chat on the phone about a month ago. So very uh, sat pretty close to yeah, Mrs. Lockett and um, and Di and Carol and, and Neil when he when he came down. And then as I got to sort of my you know uh, late teens and started going with groups of mates and stuff like that. We used to stand behind, I retained my reserve seat, but we'd stand behind the goals, uh, behind the cheer squad at the Nepean Highway end. Uh, and there was probably three or four groups of us. Um, uh, our big group, we stood very close to Matthew Hardy's uh, group. And you know, Matty and I have been mates probably from those days, from the, from the late 80s, similar age. And of course, was famous as a comedian and, and the author of Saturday Afternoon Fever and the like. Uh, Scotty Goodings, who's uh, pretty well known as, the, as a TV critic and, you know, he's written a couple of St Kilda fanzines and stuff like that. His group were just near us as, uh, as well. So they were sort of, you know, we were sort of the main three groups that sort of stood behind behind the goals. I mean, God, we could have anything of you know, 20 or 30 of us standing together. And then Maddie's group was was pretty big and the same with Scott's. And then you tend to find games like at the MCG and Waverley, a lot of our groups would amalgamate and uh, a couple of those games at the MCG in the early nineties, uh, when the great Southern stand first opened, uh, we used to stand at M15, which we dubbed MI5. And uh, sometimes there'd be sort of over a hundred of us standing together that were all loosely connected and, and had the common bond of, of the red, white and black. Mate, you, you mentioned your age earlier. You said you're 52. So that means you would have just missed out on that that famous day in '66. Do you have a Do you have a moment that sticks out to you as as your favourite moment? Obviously, we've we've seen a lot of heartbreak. There's been a lot of bad moments, but is there one one moment that kind of tops it for you in your in your 52 years? Uh, another good que- <laughs> pardon me. Another good question, Nick. Um, look, obviously the '97 preliminary final. Um, you know, knowing that we were going to see you know, people 
age, we're going to see the Saints in a grand final for the first time because even, you know, 1971, I was only three. I think one of my first memories of St Kilda was a game against South Melbourne at VFL Park in 74 when I just turned six. So um, obviously can't remember 71 or 70. I was actually taken to the 73 first semi against Richmond with my dad and his best mate was a Richmond supporter. Um, and all I can remember, I was five, all I can remember is we sat near the siren and the MCC members and I can remember Richmond running out. So I don't, I, until the 91 elimination final against Geelong, I really, um, you know, really couldn't um, say that I'd, I'd been to see St Kilda in a final. So look, there's a host, host of, even, look, even that 91, even though we lost, so I mean, once again, the system conspired against us that year, didn't it? But um, just to, you know, the 92 elimination final against Collingwood, the feeling at the final siren, but the the prelims, obviously winning the prelims and uh, 97 and and 09 and and 10. um, I mean, the joy when when Rui socked that goal through. We were standing at the other end, actually. We were at the city end when when Rui socked the goal through in the last quarter of the 09 prelim. But even you go, I mean, the 96 night grand final, uh, a lot of people that aren't involved with St Kilda, they laugh at, you know, talking about a pre-season premiership. But just the scenes at Waverley that night, you, you guys would, uh, you know, recall them. It was just simply amazing. You know, grown men climbing goalposts. <laughs> it was, it, it was mad. To beat the reigning premiers, reigning day premiers by 10 goals as well in front of a, in front of a full house. But uh, once again, I know it's a long answer, there's one, though, that I'll go back a home and away game that we didn't even win um, in 1985. So we were the reigning wooden spooners and Essendon the reigning premiers. And we played the Bombers mid-season at, uh, at Moorabbin. And uh, they led by about 45 points at three-quarter time. So it's just going to be a regulation side for the, for the powerhouse unit of, of the time. They kicked the first goal of the last quarter, so they were 51 points up. And, uh, and then between the three-minute mark and the 14-minute mark in the last quarter, we kicked eight straight to nothing to get within uh, get within three points. And we were kicking to the grandstand end as well, the Nepean Highway end. And the place, it was just... There was about... I think it was in the low 20s, the crowd that day. But the place was absolutely rocking. The last couple of goals, I mean, the, the St Kilda chant from the grandstand and that hadn't even died. People were tumbling over seats and, and I'm pretty sure it was Grandy. It was David Grant who kicked the final goal of the eight in a row. Again, it was just straight out of the centre and it was just, it was amazing. And um, it felt like the stand was going to, was going to topple over when that, when that goal was kicked to put us within three points. Uh, it was just an 11 minute period of the most amazing football you've ever seen. Essendon and Steady to win, you know, one by three or four goals, but it was, um, it's a memory which will, I'll, I'll take to my grave. And I think that's a lot about St Kilda. We have a lot of those moments. So unfortunately, we obviously haven't lifted a cup and, and celebrated that uh, collectively as fans. But I think for all of the, the pain and suffering, if you will, and for all of the frustration, we all have those memories. And, and to a lesser extent, I thought one of them was, was last week. I mean, it was a nine-year drought, not a, an 18-year drought or a 22-year drought like we've had in the past. But there was something significant about that. And I think the outpouring of emotion from a lot of people thinking, well, geez, this has been such a tough road since we lost an elimination final to Sydney in 2011. And that whole 2011 season was tough, given uh, we weren't really in contention based on what happened the year before. If, if you were to sort of sum up uh, the, the journey being a Saints fan, what is it about the place that, that, that does make it so special? 
Yeah, well, it's not a good question, Daz. I mean, we often say, um, you know, if you ain't a saint, you ain't. And really, people that don't follow the club, they they really don't get it because they, they look on us as, you know, why do you enjoy so much pain and suffering and misery? But but you wear it like a like a bad badge of honour. Not the pain and suffering and misery, but just it, the, the club itself. It's always been hard to to really put a finger on the 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 rare type of emotion and passion that the club um, creates amongst its supporter base. And even a lot of past players have said to me over the years, uh, particularly in the last 10 to 15 years, that you know, it hasn't been until after they've finished playing and then become supporters like us that they actually then really get it about the, um, you know, the emotion that sort of uh, surrounds and occasionally overwhelms uh, the, the footy club. And it's a credit to St Kilda people as to how big a supporter base we still have, given that, you know, unfortunately, statistically, we are you know, the least successful club in, uh, in in history. So you're right. You know, it was, uh, it, I'll say at the same time, it was with mixed emotions uh, watching that game. Well, I actually had to call it for 3OW. I had to call our last two games, the uh, the Eagles game and the and the Giants game. I was in a much better mood in the, uh, in the Giants game, I can assure you of that. But, um, yeah... Because, uh, and it's, it's for selfish reasons. I mean, we just have to be so envious of our, our friends that are all in the, you know, South East Queensland supporters group led by uh, Murray and Bev Brown and that because they're going to get to see, they're going to get to see our boys in the in the flesh on, on Saturday. And it's, it's never quite the same. I don't know about you guys, but I, I really struggle, really struggle watching us on, on TV. Uh, I think they, you just can't, replicate that um you know the the passion that you get from from being at the ground and, and roaring them home with uh, with fellow like-minded saints but it's still it's going to be terrific to see them back in the uh, back in the big time this saturday yeah i think my wife's looking forward to me going back to the games too so <laughs> <laughs> i'm hearing you aaron i'm hearing yeah. you <laughs> um put you on the spot here so you you get given the opportunity to tell a story about the club. I'm going to give you the option of an hour of primetime TV, an hour of radio, a newspaper article, or a book. <laughs> where are you going to tell your story? Where, where would be the one that you go, that, that's where I want it? Uh, well, as you can probably see, when this goes up on video, I've got a good head for radio. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, I've got a good head for radio, but... Um, Probably a book because I've often, I've often thought, um, and I very much admired Matt Hardy's book about Saturday afternoon fever. I reckon I've got enough material to probably write two or three St Kilda books. And if uh, if Jeff Joseph is watching this or listening to this, Trevor Barker's former manager, I'm currently trying to set a world record, and I say that with tongue in cheek. Um, I've started on Trevor Barker's biography. Um, Many years ago, and it has been the slowest moving piece of literature, I think, in the um, in the history of the modern world. So that's uh, that's a bit of a sore point with myself as well, because I just I just need to get get cracking on it. But um, I, I could, yeah, I, I'd love to write I'd love to write a St Kilda book on the you know sort of the cultural aspect of our 
of our club. I mean, you, you could write a book, even I've thought over the year, you could write just a book just on Moorabbin. I mean, uh, just the amazing venue that Moorabbin has been and, and not just with the footy club. A lot of people forget it was the, um, it was the training venue for World Series cricket before World Series cricket started because I couldn't get venues. They used to have a professional uh, running there. There was rock concerts there. We then had baseball there. Like Dave Nilsson, one of our greatest ever baseballers in this country. Uh, I, I was playing cricket for Moorabbin in the lower 11s when, uh, when the baseball um, team moved in the Thursday nights with the under lights and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, again, probably a long-winded answer, but I'd probably, Aaron, have to say a book, given there's that much material to write about. I reckon we could all go with another St Kilda book. I know Matt Hardy's book, that Saturday Afternoon Fever that you referenced, is, is my all-time favourite book. It just I think it resonates with any footy fan, not just St Kilda supporters, but but any footy fan that kind of grew up in that in that period, suburban Melbourne sort of stuff. But um, is he there so many great stories out as well, Nick? Oh, it's amazing! It's amazing! It's amazing! Um, I still love the story of the uh, the girlfriend with the, the number one. Trevor Barker <laughs> on, on her back, the long blonde hair and the number one. It's uh, an incredible story. But uh, if you've done a lot of work with the club and, and as Paco said earlier in your intro, you know, host functions and, and, and things like that. Is there, is there a, a player or someone involved in the club where you've just been in awe? I mean, despite everything that you've been through, despite everything that you've seen and experienced yourself as a, as a supporter in the media is there someone at the club that, that you've kind of just found yourself speechless um yeah probably even i mean not that we get to see him very often but there's still something about being in in plugger's presence that uh that has you know <laughs> you're not exactly quaking in your boots but he's just got such a such a presence about him and as i said earlier it's probably ironic given you know I've got to know the rest of his family so well over the last, you know, 30 odd, odd years. Um, so, I mean, Plugger still carries, he's still the, the greatest player that, you know, that, that I've ever seen. Um, you could probably say, you know, go along again through different eras, Nick. Um, as I said earlier, you know, it's not often your, you know, your main childhood hero becomes a, um, becomes a very close friend. So, um, you know the, the love I have for, for Joffa Cunningham as a as a close personal friend is is immense. Um, and then probably the guy I mean um, the, the guys that played in the '97 Grand Final they were the guys I sort of when I say grew up with. I mean at the time Jason Daniels is is my best mate and um, he uh, him and him and I were sharing a house together in '97. So I saw the the highs and lows of that season up close and personal being, being Jack's housemate. And because uh, I was sort of around the same age as, as all of those guys, a lot of them still make the, make the joke that I was sort of like their personal uh, PR agents. A lot of those guys, you know, the bulk of the story, stories written on them in their careers were <laughs> usually had the byline by Bruce Eber. Um So very close to all, all of those blokes. And then in the, you know, in the era that that culminated in the grand finals in 2009, 2010, again, very close to a, to a lot of those guys. Um, my admiration for Stephen Milne in terms of his mental strength and what he put up with and, and coped with and came out the other side and, 
such a great family man and um, he is just a, a wonderful human being. And um, my friendship with Milne is, uh, is something I hold very dear. And and then also like, you know, someone like Cozzy, who, you know, Cozzy's had, his, had a few battles in recent times. So, and, and then it's been great to see blokes like Joey and Rui go, go into the media and uh, come, come to the other side, come to the dark side if you like. So I, I, there's been so few St Kilda players that I haven't taken a shine to. Um, yeah, so it, it is hard to just narrow it down down to one. And, and then you think back, I guess the, the, the end of that answer is how many great players, both as footballers and as people, that we've seen in the last 50-odd years and they haven't got to taste premiership success. And that um, I think that makes us all... All, all a little bit sad. Better just win the next four games and, and settle it now. But um, yeah, it's 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 Absolutely. interesting as as we look towards the final one from from me. And obviously, we could go on for a long time. I guess your assessment of the season. It's been a roller coaster, but one in which we've been in the top six for pretty much the entirety of the season. It took us till the last round to get there. How you feeling? A about the year. B about the clash with the Bulldogs on Saturday, and C about the immediate future. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've still got the sticky note in front of me. When we when we collapsed against Frio, we're three and three, and uh, so we obviously had eleven games to go. And I, I drew a, a two column, well, two columns to make um, three compartments. And there was the five gimmies. I thought from there, the three uh, losses that we were more than likely going to have, and the three in dispute. Well, we won four out of the five gimmies. We won two out of the three that I had. You know, in dispute could go either way, and we won one out of the three that I thought were, were going to be losses. Uh, the one win being the uh, the Port Adelaide win. So, um, yeah, I, I think the transformation in the club this year, to, in all aspects of it, has been fantastic. And you can only imagine what it's going to be like once we get back into our heartland and playing back in Melbourne again. The, just think back the momentum that we had on the back of the Hawthorne and Collingwood victories in the pre-season that, that night at Moorabbin, uh, hosted the function that night in the um, in, in the junction room was just the buzz around the place that night to have footy back at Moorabbin and all the momentum we went into the season with, the way the girls had performed in their first season as well and all the recruits and the new... I mean, it was just fantastic. And then I think we should be so proud of the way we bounced back from that, you know, first disappointing loss to North Melbourne and then the way the season just was closed down for what 10 or 11 weeks so to to regather themselves and then to overcome so many um you know hurdles as every club has had to do and to do it uh, brilliantly off field as well i think we should take great pride in the fact that there hasn't been a squeak out of um, out of our hub as far as any misbehavior or shenanigans or anything so um yeah i think it's been a whatever happens this saturday and over the next what we hope is four weeks. I think it has just been a terrific foundation to what's going to be a really exciting, you know, next five to seven years. And you look at the age demographic of, of the side as well. Just look at our back line. I mean, um, set Jake aside, but, you know, Callum Wilkie and Dougal Howard, they're a couple of weeks apart in, in their birthdays. They're both 24. And then you think, you know, we'll lose Hunter Clark into the midfield. He won't, be a halfback for too much longer, but you look at Coff and, and Benny Patton and, and Benny Long, I mean, the age of the back line were just so, so young down there. So, 
yeah, I think we're in, in for a really uh, exciting ride. Pardon the old uh, <laughs> the old line from 20 years ago, but for the next five to seven years, I reckon should be should be terrific. Now, I saw a little post today about um, the 1991 Batman uh, Batmobile from the grand final, basically saying, "How much would you pay for it?" Is, is there something that you'd like, uh, some, maybe something obscure that you go, "I'd love to go back in time and get my hands on that." Is there something that you can recall? Yeah. Go, that would be really nice piece and something to have. Yeah, Aaron. There, well, there's a few again. In fact, I know a few of the blokes that have bought the uh, bought the Bat. Batmobile, uh, yeah, but that, that's a story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Shannon Gill, that's a story for another time. Um, I do know, uh, I, I haven't seen him for a long time. I know the guy who's got, I think it's in his parents' backyard, and I think it's set in concrete, the point post that was snapped off in Joffa's 200th game when Plugger slung uh, Peter Dacos into the, uh, into the point post, which was sort of in the grandstand forward pocket at the um, in the Pena Highway end. Uh, I know the guy, he's a very close friend of mine who pinched the windsock before the last game at Moorabbin or a couple of weeks before the last game at Moorabbin. That unfortunately uh, disintegrated over the years. It wasn't in really good nick anyway. Um, I've got a, uh, it's actually at, at a mate's place. So I've got to wait till I do a bit of landscaping in the back uh, back garden here at my, <laughs> here at my place. But um I have got a, uh, uh, was lucky enough to obtain a set of turnstiles from Moorabbin as everything was being demolished. So that will take pride of place. But the one I was really disappointed in, and this is just such a classic St Kilda story, I'm sure well, you, you may be aware of it, is that um, with the demolition of the ground, uh, this is the way it was told to me, I think it was by Matt Finnis, it might have even been by... Anyway, that, that's by the by. But with the loosening of the of the foundations, with the terraces coming down in the uh, in the outer, um, and then all the earthworks that were going on, the scoreboard was still standing. Um, and then my understanding is that there was a one um, weekend there was a heavy uh, winds and that across the weekend, and the scoreboard actually actually blew over. Um, and then when they the company that was doing the demolition and um, removing all the stuff from the ground that couldn't be auctioned off um, got there on the on the Monday uh, they thought oh that it, with it blown over and that it wouldn't want to be kept or any parts of it and it was just um, bundled off and taken to wherever a lot of the stuff was gone and, uh, yeah so I would have I just would have loved not necessarily the St Kilda I would have loved something from the school board I would have loved something and I'd always said about Grabbing my seat, giving out a seat on the end of the aisle in uh, in the grandstand. We know Spud and Lowy uh, went down <laughs> and uh, and did that, but um, I'll have to make do with a uh, just have to make do with a turnstile. Yeah. yeah, I think we've all got a piece. Yeah, of seat, I've got a couple of slots of the seats. Yeah, so yeah. Yep. <laughs> well played, Beaver. One more for me, mate. But uh, we heard Rui this week in in that hype video released by the club ask, "Why not us?" Uh, what are you looking forward to seeing from us on, on Saturday afternoon? Aside from a win, obviously. Yeah, well, look, I think um, you know, the, it, it, some, it annoys me sometimes the way the dogs get you know talked up as being this really sexy side. And even you can individualise a bit and talk about, you know, all the, the hoopla that always seems to be about Tim English and Rowan Marshall seems to get uh, 
to get forgotten. Well, you know, as we know, Rowan and uh, and Paddy monstered Tim English back in round two. Oh, look, the, the dogs are playing good footy. They were this time uh, last year as well and, and got smashed by the Giants in week one. I'm not saying we're going to smash them, but we've beaten them comfortably the last twice we've played them. Um, I think they've got plenty of things to worry about with what we can with what we can dish up in terms of how heavily we can score, how quick we can move the footy. Um, you know, their midfield is is flying. There's there's no doubt about that. But uh, I reckon we match up well with them um, down back. Uh, looks like, you know, they're going to have a couple of blokes go in, um, not under an injury cloud, but, you know, Norton looks like he's going to play wearing a helmet to protect the cheekbone. And Mitch Wallace, they still don't seem to be completely convinced that his shoulder is going to be 100%. So, um, yeah, I, I just want us to be bold. I want us to, you know, um, play that. And I thought against the Giants that we returned to some of the footy uh, that we sort of played in the first 12 rounds. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a different feel. I'm not sure how many will actually be at, be at the game, whether it'll be 10,000, 15,000. Um, you know, you hope the Saints supporters, they've, they've made a lot of noise in the last few weeks at the Gabba. So if we can be bold, if we kick straight, well, there was a couple of instances in the last few weeks where a bit of that inaccuracy crept back in. But um, yeah, just just play with play with freedom and we know they'll be, be hard at it and we can hopefully get the result. As we let you go, Beaver, I think I remember six years ago at the start of 2014 when the Saints were on their way to winning a wooden spoon. We were both travelling to Adelaide to call the game for our respective networks and we were on the plane while St Kilda was playing. And when we landed in Adelaide, I think there was about five minutes to go and we were a point in front. And I remember the two of us watching the last five minutes of that game on a phone as we hung on and beat the Giants. And the excitement around then when we were on our way to a spoon was enormous. So it's great to catch up with you now with the excitement of a final on our doorsteps. Obviously, very different times. But the passion's always been there. And um, fingers crossed we take another step on Saturday. But thanks for, for sharing the journey with us. Thanks, guys. Uh, great, to, uh, great to be on. Thanks for having us on. And uh, love your passion as well. And, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's all get behind the boys on on Saturday and, and hopefully we're, we're blasting the song out loud and proud come, uh, come about seven o'clock Saturday night. And we'll see you in the victory room next season when everything's normal. Cheers guys. Yeah, a bit of anxiety around, you know, when you're trying to make finals and that, but uh, to put in a performance like that and, um, you know, really a four-quarter performance was the first, first time since 2011 and, um, yeah, just really pleased to think that Seb Ross and Tim Memory and, you know, JB and Jack Billings will, will play their first their first final, but, um, you know, and to have the recruits that we've got in with Hill, Butler, Howard, Hanabry, uh, Ryder, and I think Jones will be right for hopefully the first final but um, they've got finals experience and you know that's why we got them to the club and um, you know they're going to be very important in this build-up you know it's part of the journey not the destination and really important for us to you know we, we get a chance now and we've been waiting for this chance for a long time but um, yeah hopefully you're sitting back there and I know it's been a very very tough year for everybody back in in Melbourne and you know our supporters have been fantastic um, unbelievable um, hopefully it's given you a smile and hopefully we can do you proud in the first week. But thanks for all your support and thanks for sticking by us. Um, you know, we made finals and uh, this is a, just a, the first bit of the puzzle for us. But thank you so much. 
Go Mighty Saints. Bruce Eva there, and also the thoughts of Brett Ratton in the lead-up to our final on Saturday, the Twilight Final at 4.40 at the Gabba, uh, coming up in a few days' time as the excitement and the nerves begin to build. Those nerves really do kick in once you know you have an opponent. I think Saturday and most of Sunday after we won that game were pretty cruisy. As soon as, obviously, the Bulldogs qualified in seventh and all of the venues and times were locked in, you knew, well, it's showtime now. And I sort of compare it to when they used to win and have the week off for the prelim. And that first week was easy because you didn't have an opponent yet. That second week, uh, yeah, the nerves really well and truly kicked in. But how you're reading it, H, uh, I guess the build-up to the game, Zach Jones will be one that, that comes in. You sense that's probably the only change? Most likely, it seems like. Um, there's no point really changing and chopping and changing too much, it seems. Um, as I was saying, it just saying earlier, the, the team looked very balanced, very even across the ground. And we played a very, very good brand of football that, that basically involved everyone and everyone had their job and they all did it well. And so they know what they're doing and what Rats wants from them. And it, it's just starting to look like, okay, this is everything that we've tried this year is just starting to roll into, into, into fruition, I guess. And what we're aiming for is now sticking out to us going, hey, it's there for us to get. Um, but against the dogs, I, mean, I can't think of any players I'd really want to change to have a proper matchup against because I mean, we, we always seem to match up against them very well. Um, it's a team that, as we've seen over the years that we've struggled, we've still been able to get very close or in times beat them. Um, we, when we had the classic game where we were what nine goals down and beat them, we had um, the game early in the year this year, we've beaten by almost seven goals. It's when, yeah, I think they beat the Collingwood quite convincingly the week before, didn't they? Oh, actually, no, they, they lost that one as well. They, they were oh, they of, beat. Well, yeah, it's so long ago, I can't remember now. Um, uh, basically, yeah, so they're, they're a team that we are always matching up well against. Um, they're a very high usage team, so they get a lot of the ball. So basically stopping them getting as much possession as they want, that's the first step. Making them... Pressure, like pressuring them, making them kick it to where they don't want to be kicking it because they're, they're very well structured, very well um, set up and know what they're wanting to do with the ball. We need to just cut them off a bit and yeah, play the game that we want to play at the same time as shutting down their structures and just ma- making them feel uncomfortable in what they normally try and do. So if, if they're getting that free ball, we're going to have to really start by the getting to where they're putting the ball or stop them getting it. Um, it it's McRae, Dunkley, uh, obviously Bonds and Pelly. They love the ball in their hand. It's just stopping them, getting them out of their comfort zones, make him earn every single possession that they're getting. But as I've said, we match up well. Just got to do what we did early in the year. We, we've always matched up quite well with them and, and, like I said, we've won the last couple against them. Um, our numbers are, are eerily similar across the year. Um, when you compare kind of key key stats inside 50s, you know, we we are just below them by like half a point. 
Um, disposals is, is the is the big one. Like like you said, H, they love ball in hand and and they are a high usage team. They they love to gather possession and keep the ball. Um, one of the things that that I think we've gotten better at over the last few weeks, and and we showed it really well against the Giants because they had a lot more of the ball than we did. You know, they out they out possessed us. I think they, were, they had like a plus fifty differential or something over over the course of the game. Uh, more kicks, more handles. They just had more touches overall. But we were more efficient and we were bold and daring when we had it and we moved the ball really well. And that's what we've got to do. We, we know we can do it against them because we, we've done it before. Uh, we have nothing to be scared of with this Bulldogs team. They're a good team, don't get me wrong. But we know we can beat them. We've done it multiple times. Even when we've been bad and they've been good, we've still beaten them. Um, and, you know, this year we've proven that we can, we can match it with teams that play really good football. Um, and, and like Beaver said, earlier that you know we, we have to be bold we have to be aggressive we've got to move the ball quickly and and you know I, I think the, the proof is in the pudding that we can we can win these games of football now uh, we just got to go out and execute and, and that's that's going to be the, the main thing we've got to be efficient with the ball we've got to move it quickly we can't we can't allow them time to set up structures behind the ball uh, we know that's what they're going to do we know they're going to chip it around half back we know they're going to you know go sideways we know they're going to go backwards to keep the ball uh, and keep possession, and we just have to pressure them. We just have to pressure them. It's you talk about Zach Jones coming in. Unfortunately, someone's got to go out for for Zach to come back in, and I think that's probably Dean Kent this week. Um, Jack Loney was a bit of a question. We saw him go down early in, in the game last week with a, a jarred knee or, or something like that. But it sounds like he's going to be okay. There's some question marks around Josh Battle um, that, that I've seen flying around socials today. Not too sure what the issue is. I haven't heard a, a huge amount, but um, you know, all being equal, I think it's probably Jones for Jones for Kent this week. Yeah, I think that's that's reasonable. You're right in regards to the, the matchup as well with the, the Bulldogs. That they, you look at some of the other numbers this year. So they've got the one top eight scalp this year. They beat West Coast by two points a couple of weeks ago. We've got the three: the Bulldogs, Port Adelaide, and Richmond. Uh, so the Bulldogs have had yeah, a similar season to us in terms of both of us, 10 and 7. They've had some close losses to teams above them, such as Geelong, obviously, and they weren't too bad against Port in Adelaide either. So the season's tracking quite similarly. The midfield, clearly the, the key for the Bulldogs. I think we've got them covered in the other areas of the ground. And talking to a lot of people during the week, the consensus is if we could break even in the middle. So if we were 50-50 in the middle, we would probably win the game, um, even close to that. Um, it's not as simple as that, of course, but we, we, we should have enough scoring power and, and perhaps enough ability to restrict them. Uh, obviously, Norton and Wallace are expected to play, but under you know, what level are they at? Josh Bruce has, has laboured a bit this year, but obviously we know a bit about him. Uh, but just, you know, the, the Hunter, McRae, Bonson, Pally, Dunkley, midfield. Uh, Daniel, obviously, with ball in hand is good. We restricted Jason Johannesson last time we played them. So... Doggy's clearly a, a chance, and the game is very, very close to a 50 50 uh, game. But yeah, there's a lot of areas where we are certainly capable of getting them, and, and plenty of areas where we have to, be, have to be very careful as well. But if we could just match them with ball out of the middle, and we can go a long way to doing that if, if Ryder and, and Marshall can take control against Tim English, who's been either very good or very poor this year. He's, he either plays an, an elite game or an average game. So. Um, and he's going to be a very good player, but hopefully we can nullify him and therefore give our mids first use of the ball, Steele, Hill, Jones, Billings, Ross, etc. that they go through the middle of the ground. I've obviously got such a, an important role to play 
in this game. I think I, I concur on those changes as well as, as to if there are any, I mean, Josh Battle would be a, a fairly significant loss if he, if he went out just based on what he does to the structure. But um, if they could just hold on, he didn't play last time uh, we met, but if we could just find a way to get him up, it would be frustrating if, if our player under a cloud missed and, and their players under a cloud did play. But um, we'll obviously see what happens when the teams are announced. Over the next few days, might finish with some listener interaction before that game. Uh, to Damo Jones, acknowledging your message, but out of pure superstition, might at least uh, we'll, we'll pin that one and, and we might release that one next week in regards to big <laughs> pictures around Moorabbin and Grand Final Day and all of that sort of stuff. So this might not tempt the gods too much with that one uh, just yet, but uh, acknowledge and appreciate it all the same. A few coming through. Alex says, uh, do you think we are at an advantage having beaten them earlier in the year or do you think that makes it easier, more predictable for the doggies knowing uh, what we did last time is essentially what we think should work? Very evenly matched teams as far as season success goes. I'm not sure we can expect to beat them the same way as last time. Needs to be some wrinkles in the plan. Of course, I mean, every game's different. The Bulldogs' personnel is a little bit different. The game's at the Gabba as opposed to Docklands. Um, yeah, the matchups are going to be slightly different this time around, and you just got to deal with it within the flow of the game. I'm sure St Kilda don't expect it to show up and and win the game the same way. But but in saying that, we've played at a particular played a particular style of football for most of the year. So have the Bulldogs. I think there aren't many secrets in the AFL. You know what the opposition is generally going to try to do against you. You know what you're going to try to do against them. It either works or it doesn't. So. Um, I don't think there's too many surprises. I, I, I would imagine it's pretty rare these days that coaches are completely blindsided by what the opposition does. Well, you kind of get over that, um, the point of the ruck with Tim English before. Just just looking back at what happened in the first game, we had a combination of uh, Ryder and Marshall with 49 hitouts, and English had 10. So it's, it's if we can, uh, once again, use that same, get that same first use of the ball and Ryder and Marshall are switched on, there's the starting point. That's that's the first point where the players have the opportunity to get the ball is out of the ruck. So if we if we can beat them in there and get that same flow going again, we've we've got the first first foot in there. Um, so as 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 he said, yes, very evenly matched. Um, but just getting that first use that that's gonna be where we can basically take control of the game, begin, and yeah, that's, that's what we want to do. Um, uh, for, to Nick, uh, I've got one question from Nathan. Uh, if, if battle doesn't come up, um, who do you think we need to use the covering? It's, it's a really interesting one if battle doesn't come up, because I, I see him as a really important part of our structure, both forward and back, because I think he's one of those guys that can, can kind of make uh, other key forwards when he's playing in defense he can he can make their um their forwards accountable for him in, in an offensive way uh but he can also kind of lock down and, and be that third man up he can he can uh bring the ball out of defense and then obviously he swings forward and can kick a couple, couple of goals and, and be a, a, a mismatch up forward so it's a really tough one because i don't think we have a, a straight like for like swap for, for someone like josh battle i mean we've tried with with john o'marsh kind of a bit in defense a bit a bit up forward uh, obviously, we know what, what Robertson can do uh, down back, and, and there's a few guys that can, can kind of slot in, in in the forward line. But I don't think there's a I don't think there's a like for like uh, 
swap for Josh Battle if, if he doesn't make it up? What do you guys reckon? No, there isn't. And, and yeah, he could have played, yeah, the, the defensive shutdown role. But hopefully, I mean, the back of two weeks, they could, they could find a way to get him up. I must admit, I haven't been hugely across that rumour in the, in the last couple of days. But yeah, I, I think it's pretty important. I know he missed the first three or four games of this season, but we are pretty scratchy in his absence. Uh, we did beat the Bulldogs last time without him, though. But yeah, he just gives us that versatility. He can take a mark in front of the ball, can, can play back if we need him to, can be a taller midfielder as well. So basically, just, just hope he plays. And, and I think the role he would play would be as a defensive forward, which answers Chucky's question as well. Um, uh, a couple coming through here. Jason Orr says, will there be any complacency in a game? I wouldn't have thought so, given the opportunity. They I mean, coming into a final, it's a rare opportunity. I don't think I'll be resting on their laurels. And uh, Yoshihiro says, who would stop Bonds and would Ross follow Libba? I'd be tempted to go McRae almost with Ross uh, and the Bont matchup. I can't remember who got that last time, but it was pretty effective. I think Steele went to him head to head. Yeah, and killed him, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I think that's that makes the most sense. I mean, it, Bont... He, you can't stop Bond. He's one of those guys, like a Chris Judd, like a Gary Ablett, where it's really hard to, to completely nullify their influence. But what you can do is go head-to-head with him and make him be accountable for your guy as well. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Steele and Bond go head-to-head. They're, they're similar sizes. Steele's got the strength. You know, he's got the stoppage experience and, and the knowledge at, at, at you know, the, the contest. Um, I, it really wouldn't surprise me to see us kind of not tag Bond, but, but just send Steele to him to go head to head. We know that he can do a bit of a job on him anyway, but also to make him accountable uh, going forward. And, and that's something that Steele has really added to his arsenal this season. Go back to one of the, the previous questions about, um, you know, do we have a plan B or, or a wrinkle in the plan or, or what do we do? H, you mentioned that, that ruck matchup and, and it really is the biggest advantage that we have over the Bulldogs. Um, we've seen it work time and time again. We know that it's a, it's a weakness for them. Um, and, getting that first use through the middle is going to be really important. Um, but we also have, you know, luckily with guys like Battle, hopefully hopefully he's good to go, But and Marshall who can play right, can play forward. We've got versatility in a number of positions that, that if things aren't going to plan, and we know what that plan is, win the ruck, win the stoppage, move the ball fast, um, take advantage in front of goal. That's, I mean, that's really the game plan is it's how we've played all year. Um, if that doesn't work, then we have some we have some options in terms of moving the moving the magnets on the whiteboard. But, um, there there is another question that that we we got asked a, a few times throughout the afternoon on Twitter and Facebook, uh, and I'll pose this to to both of you guys as to what you prefer. You see Jaron Geary playing in defence, or do you see him as a defensive forward? And and if he is playing forward, does he go back to JJ where he had such success in in round two, or do you send him to Caleb Daniel, who's been I guess their main playmaker out of the back half for most of the season. Well, it worked the first time. Why wouldn't you start there again? Um, it, Johannes can be a really damaging player if you let him go. That, that's, that's as simple as it is. We know it. And last time it worked. So we, I get, yeah, when you start with it, if it doesn't work, try something else. Chuck him over to Daniel. If Daniel, if Daniel is becoming really damaging... Um, while Johannes, Johannes is not really doing anything, then that might be the need to be to switch as well. Um, it, it's as you're saying, battle's very flexible. So is Geary. He, he just 
we can take him on go, okay, take this player. He goes and does the job. Go down here and do this. He goes there and does that. Throw yourself in front of this player. He'll do it. Um, it's wherever we need someone, we can put him. So and he's done the job all year and captain a final, he's going to get a foot taller this week. It's just, just watching he'll step up and whatever is needed, he'll be the first one there to do it. Yep. Um, I, think that's a, uh, I think that's a pretty fair summation of, uh, of what we'll expect out of this. Uh, also a couple of questions in regards to uh, potential trade targets around Ben Brown and Sean Higgins coming through. Um, we'll, we'll probably deal with that a little bit more in depth sort of post-season when we start looking at the, uh, at the list and those sorts of things. But needless to say, look, Ben Brown, I think is a, is a superstar. And I think North are crazy to, to make that move. He kicked more goals than anyone in the AFL in the three years prior to this year. I'm not sure that if you, if you named a list of what St Kilda's highest priorities would be, I wouldn't say another key forward was necessarily one of those, but, his currency would be at its lowest, so you could potentially get him cheaper than he should be. So that would be one definitely that you wouldn't say no to, given his standing. Sean Higgins, very good player, clearly at the back end of his career. He'll be 33 or 34 next year, but um, it never hurts to have that level of experience if it doesn't cost much. So it's probably us or Geelong there. But um, keep those listener questions coming through on our Facebook uh, channels, uh, also Twitter and, and Instagram. And, of course, you can catch all of our old podcasts via your usual podcast channels. So uh, jump on all of those. And uh, it is finals time, so we hope it's not our last game preview. We hope there's at least another one to come next week. But uh, it's going to be an exciting few days. Hopefully this podcast can help just sort of settle things down for an hour or two in the build-up to a massive weekend for the club. We're not done yet, and hopefully... There are some chapters left to write in 2020. Boys, enjoy the uh, enjoy the elimination final on Saturday.